You're listening to audio from Seven Mile Road Church in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. If you'd like to check out more of our resources or learn more about our church, please visit sevenmilewaltham.com. Now I want you to imagine with me that you are traveling across the ocean on a cruise ship, okay? Not an old school one, not like the Titanic. Um, uh, one of those new ones that has all the bells and whistles and all the fancy digital navigational software, right? And you're, you're on this long journey, and part of being on a cruise is it's not just where you're going. The journey itself is actually fun, right? So you're enjoying the trip as you're headed towards your destination. It's enjoyable, but then just as you arrive you hear an announcement, and the captain says, listen, everyone, I'm sorry, there's been a navigational mistake. And yes, we've landed to a destination, but not our original destination. We're actually a thousand miles away from our proper destination. Uh, you'd, You'd hear that, and you'd be both surprised, that'd be an understatement, and you'd be very frustrated like after all, right? This is a this is a modern cruise ship. They have everything they need, all the right tools, all the right software and navigation to go where they need to go. Well, what happened? We'll come to find out. The captain accidentally set the course of the ship just 1 degree off in the wrong direction as it left the port. Seems like a small thing, right? It's not noticeable at first. Sort of hard to notice anything when you're on the open ocean, but since no one knew there was a problem, there was no course correction, and now you find yourself a thousand miles away from your desired destination. And this is, a, I think, a helpful parable for us in our own spiritual lives, right? We can easily, even though we have all the right tools... You know, we got church, we got friends, we got the Bible, we got spiritual disciplines. We can easily, though, get off just one degree where we set our minds and our hearts and what we pursue. And it might seem like a small thing. Nothing seems off at first, but if we don't course correct, right, the results can be disastrous and we can find ourselves in our lives all of a sudden waking up seeing we're a thousand miles away from where the Lord would have us, from his purposes for us. And so this is one of the reasons why every year on the last Sunday of the year, we have a special focus on prayer. We have a small sermon, a short sermon, and I mean that, preacher's famous last words, right? 20 minutes on prayer, and then we pray together, break up in groups and pray together. Why? Because all of us, if we're honest, no matter where we are, we need course correction. We need to reset. And Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 does this in a unique way. If you you noticed while I was reading, there's actually no explicit mention of prayer in these four verses. Really in this chapter, it talks about thanksgiving um, and thankful hearts a little bit in, in verse 17, but it's not primarily a prayer passage. So why choose this passage? Well, here, Paul calls us to something that can only happen if we're in communication with God through prayer. So though prayer is not the ultimate point of 
what Paul is saying here, it is a byproduct of what he's saying here. We can't set our minds on the things above, that's the command in this passage, unless we're committing to a life of prayer. Without it, our minds will drift off course. Our lives will drift off course. So what I want to do in the next few minutes, very quickly, is to give us, from Colossians 3, 1 through 4, a mini catechism on prayer. We know what a catechism is. We just we walk through it every Sunday with the kids. A catechism is written instruction for Christian growth and teaching in the form of questions and answers. That's all it is. So, and from this passage, I just want to draw out four questions and four answers that, that draw us into communing with God, right? A prayerful life. Question number one, who am I? I am raised with Christ. Question number two, what should I do? I should seek the things above. Question number three, why should I do this? Because my life is hidden with Christ. Question number four, how should I set my mind on things above? By prayer. So four, see it's a mini catechism on prayer. Four things. Number one, let's work through these. Who am I? I am raised with Christ. First part of verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ. Notice here that before we're told what to do, we're reminded of who we are. Paul loves to do this. this is, and this is an essential part of any act of obedience. Whether we're talking about prayer or whatever it may be. Any act of obedience must be rooted in identity. Doing flows from being. If then you have been raised with Christ. He's saying this is who you are, Christian. You've been raised with Christ. And so this leads us to ask a question. Who am I? It's a big existential question, right? You might answer that in a number of different ways. You might talk about relationships. I'm a friend. I'm a spouse. I'm a husband, a father, daughter, sister, those things. You might talk about your career. I'm an engineer. I'm a pastor. I'm whatever it may be. A lot of ways to answer that question, but what Paul reminds us of here is that at the the deepest, most fundamental level, if you get beneath all of those things that you do, as a Christian, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is you have been raised with Christ. You're united to him by faith. You've been buried with Christ in his death. And you've been raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life as a new creation. And that identity, that answer to the who am I question, is the single most important driving factor in how you and I live. Our temptation is to jump straight to the, to the doing, right? Give me something practical. Tell me what to do. Now Paul reminds us here, no, 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 before we get to that, you have to understand this. Who are you? you're a Christian, you've been raised with Christ. The idea here is this, as the roots uh, run deep into a nourishing soil, what happens? The plant grows and it produces fruit, right? So you and I, if we have trusted in Christ, we're united to him by faith. So we, when we're united to Christ by faith, that's our identity, we will produce the spiritual fruit. 
You've been raised with Christ. Who am I? I'm raised with Christ. And out of this, this this union, this being united to Jesus, being with Christ by faith, we come to question number two. What should I do? Seek the things above. Second half of verse one. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Because of who you are, this is what you should give your life to. See Paul's logic there? If then, here's what you should do. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And notice, he also contrasts this with what we're tempted to do. Verse 2, don't seek the things that are on the earth. That's going to be where we're tempted to set our minds. So this leads us to ask really a a soul-searching question. He's talking, he's using mind language here, right? So friend, ask yourself, what are you seeking? What what is the primary object of your thoughts, your concerns? Here's Here's a good way to answer that question. When all of the tasks of the day are done, and you're sitting alone at night, what does your mind tend to wander to? It's a good way to assess your thought life and, and see the things that you're thinking of, what you daydream about, what your thoughts are full of. We're to seek and set our minds on the things that are above, and what is above primarily is Christ. R. Kent Hughes says, this heavenly seeking is to be foremost through prayer as we ask, seek, and knock for the things above. The seeking ought to pervade our conversations, friendships, studies, work, even our play. And when it does, it will enhance our fullness in Christ. And notice the difference here. He uses two words. He talks about setting and seeking. If you think of our, our cruise ship story, right? You set a destination. You set that, you make that decision, here is what I am setting my mind to, and then you seek it, you, you pursue it. You determine now that your, your life will be consumed with Christ, and then you seek that out. And this is, this is really a call to be vigilant and active with our thought life instead of lazy and passive. And let's just be honest. This is true of every culture, but in our day and age especially, it is so easy to be lazy and passive with our thought lives. Why? Because there are a million things being poured into our mind from every different direction. Paul says, no, no, no. Set your mind on Christ. Seek Christ not the things of this earth. We see this all over Scripture, 1 Corinthians 2. 2. Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Isaiah 26.3, A great verse for those of us who struggle with anxious thoughts. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 1 Peter 1.13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So friends, we shouldn't be surprised if our spiritual life, if our prayer life is dull and stagnant when we neglect to set our minds on who Christ is, when we neglect to meditate on the Scriptures, and instead we fill our minds with the distractions of this world. If you and I want a heart that's captured by Christ, a life that's full of Christ, which is really what Colossians is about, then you and I must have minds that are saturated with Christ. We must be determined in everything. I want to think of how this glorifies Christ, how this points me to Christ, how this can lead me to obedience to Christ, how it points me to trust in Christ. So what should I do? Seek the things that are above. Question number three, why should I do this? Because my life is hidden with Christ. Note how Paul speaks of something that happened, verse three and four, In the past, you have died, verse 3. In the present, your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then the future, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He's talking about a holistic setting of our minds on Christ. So not only are you Christian raised with Christ, verse 1, but, but let me remind you, Paul says, you've also died. Now what does that mean? Because you can... We're here, we're alive right now, thankfully, everyone in this room. You can poke the person next to you. They're there, they're breathing, there's, you know, hearts are, are beating. So, so what does he mean when he says, you have died? Well, what, what he's saying is, you've died to your old self that was enslaved to sin. Your physical body's still walking around, but the old you, the spiritual you that was enslaved to sin is, is gone, Therefore, you are free to set your mind on Christ and not the things of this world. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know what the greatest hindrance to a a life of prayer is? I, I don't think it is the distractions of the world. I don't think it's our busy schedules and struggles and all those things. The greatest hindrance to a a life of prayerfully setting our minds on Christ is that the old self creeps back in and turns us inward so we're prideful. The ultimate problem is us, right? That pride and selfishness creeps in. You've experienced this. Maybe you try to pray as a Christian. Your mind wanders in a million different directions. and They're all related to your responsibilities and your wants and your desires and your work and so on and so on and so on. Paul says, listen, that old self, the flesh, it still wages war against you. But let me remind you that you have died with Christ. You are a new creation. You've been raised with him. You're free. And guess what? It gets better. Not only has the old you died and the new one come, Paul then gives us this phrase that it really stretches our minds to comprehend the glory of the gospel here. He says, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? Friends, it means we who have trusted in Christ, we dwell secure in Jesus. We belong to him. He belongs to us. He is our refuge and nothing can separate that union. So if verse 1 tells us who we are, you've been raised with Christ. Spiritually, this verse tells us where we are. 
right? You're hidden with Christ, not by your own doing, but by faith. You live in him. That's what God has done for the Christian. But there's even more. He says, not only that, there's this future reality. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So do do you see the motivation here in these verses? Here's Paul's logic. It's as if he's saying, listen, don't you want to set your mind now on the thing that will thrill you for all eternity? Don't don't you want your pursuits and desires now to match your identity so you don't live a duplicitous life? Don't you want to relish in Christ, the one in whom you dwell and will one day be fully like him and with him? The world is not your home. Christ is your home. The world is not your future. Christ is your future. So set your mind on Christ. And that transforms our everyday life. Charles Spurgeon says this. This is a long quote, but it's worth it. He says, will you take Jesus and dwell in him? See this house is furnished with all you want. It's filled with the riches more than you will spend as long as you live. Here you can have intimate communion with Christ and feast on his love. Here are tables well stored with food for you to live on forever. In it then, uh, when weary, you can find rest with Jesus. And from it, you can look out and see heaven itself. Will you have the house? Uh, If you are houseless, you'll say, I should like to have the house, but may I have it? Yes, there's a key. The key is come to Jesus. But you say, I'm too shabby for such a house. Shabby is a great word. Never mind, there are garments inside. If you feel guilty and condemned, come. And though the house is too good for you, Christ will make you good enough for the house by and by. He will wash you and cleanse you. And you will yet be able to sing, we dwell in him. Believer, thrice happy, three times happy are you to have such a dwelling place. Greatly privileged you are, for you have a strong habitation in which you're ever safe and dwelling in him. You have not only a perfect and secure house, but an everlasting one. When this world shall have melted like a dream, our house shall live and stand more imperishable than marble, more solid than granite, self-existent as God, for it is God himself We dwell in him. That's what it means that your life is hidden with Christ. So why should should I set my mind on the things above? Because my life is hidden with Christ in God. And then fourth and finally, how should I set my mind on things above? By prayer. By prayer. Communing with God. Speaking to him. Opening his word. Hearing him speak. And then responding back to him. So friends, as we evaluate, which I know many of us are doing, the year before, as we prepare for the year ahead, what is your mind set on? What are you seeking? We cannot set our minds on the things above where Christ is unless we're committing to a life of prayer. So what will that look like for you in the new year? Now, there are all sorts of great um, practical tips you can implement and schedules you may be planning. All of those things are fine, but let me encourage you to first wrestle with this mini-catechism on prayer. To know that 
how you set your mind flows out of who you are in Christ. This will fuel your prayer life far better than some schedule that you found on the internet. Let's read those questions again. It will help you know your identity. Who are you? You're raised with Christ, Christian. It'll help you know your calling. What do you do? You seek the things that are above. You'll know the motivation for those things. Why should I do this? Because your life is hidden with Christ. It will give you the tools that God has given to us, the means of grace, so you can do this. How should you do this? By prayer. John Calvin, I'll leave you with this quote. He reflects on this. He wrote about this more than any other doctrine, being united to Christ and how it leads us to prayer. And he says this. He says, for in Christ, he offers all happiness in place of our misery, all wealth in place of our neediness. In him, the Lord opens to us the heavenly treasures that our whole faith may contemplate that beloved son of his. Our whole expectation depend upon him and our whole hope cleave to him and rest in him.